This episode contains allusions to sexual assault and descriptions of body horror, murder, torture, and suicide. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13. If you or someone you love is struggling with suicidal thoughts or the impulse to self-harm, please seek help. The United States National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. The following is from The Hell Screen by Ryonosuke Akutagawa. I have seen men bound in iron chains. I have made detailed sketches of those tormented by ominous birds. Nor would I say that I'm not acquainted with criminals under tortures and prisoners. Almost every night and day, bull-headed demons, horse-headed demons, or three-faced, six-armed demons harrow and torment me, clapping their noiseless hands and opening their voiceless mouths. They are not those which I am neither anxious nor able to paint. I am anxious to paint a nobleman's magnificent carriage falling in mid-air in the very center of the screen. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. In this series, we reimagine ghostly tales from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This week, we continue our month on haunted artists with the conclusion of Ryunosuke Akutakawa's 1918 story, The Hell Screen. If you haven't listened to part one yet, make sure you go back and start from the beginning. Last week, we met Yoshihide, the Japanese Empire's greatest and most unlikable artist. When Yoshihide demanded that the great Lord of Horikawa release his teenage daughter Yuzuki from servitude, Lord Nakamura made an unusual proposition. He would free Yoshihide's daughter if the artist agreed to paint him a realistic depiction of hell. Ever confident in his own abilities, Yoshihide agreed. But his creative process required him to make his mind and soul vulnerable to sinister forces. In order to bring the underworld to life, the artist needed to become a vessel through which evil could create. Coming up, the hell screen requires more than just dedication. It demands sacrifice. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. 
This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It was past midnight in Horikawa Palace, but Yuzuki was wide awake. She sat up in bed, watching the silhouettes of branches dance across the room's screened walls. A quiet, creaking noise caused her to jump. Was it a footfall, or merely the palace settling? To her relief, silence followed. The girl was exhausted after a week spent this way on high alert, all because Lord Nakamura had been inviting himself into her bedroom in the dead of night. She dreaded his visits and had stopped sleeping as a result. To make matters worse, she feared what would happen to her father if she didn't comply with the Lord's wishes. On many occasions, he had threatened to kill Yoshihide if she ever escaped. Yuzuki was beside herself. She was also furious. The abuses she'd endured were bad enough, but feeling powerless was far worse. The Lord had weaponized her love for her father and made her a prisoner in the palace. The only hope she had for escape was for Yoshihide to complete his painting and rescue her. So she stewed in her misery, watched the shadows, and prayed for freedom. Meanwhile, Yoshihide labored tirelessly on the hell screen. His studio's blacked-out windows and ever-present fire set the perfect stage for the necessary work. At the moment, that meant inflicting hell on his apprentice, Haru. The boy lay at his master's feet, wrapped in chains. Yoshihide had posed him hogtied on his stomach, his arms and legs bound together behind his back. Though Haru struggled to breathe, the artist only tugged his chains tighter. He wasn't listening to his apprentice's whimpers of pain. Instead, Yoshihide was preoccupied with the whispers of his unseen companion, the one that spoke to him from the shadows. Tighter, it purred, and Yoshihide complied. As he yanked the chains, Haru's limbs bent at cruel angles. His muscles strained and tore, and his skin turned an angry shade of purplish-blue. Yoshihide didn't stop pulling until he heard a painful crack. Haru cried out and stopped struggling. The artist stepped back to admire his handiwork. Marvelous, he murmured. Now, don't move. Yoshihide sat at the canvas and mixed the paints to match Haru's inflamed skin. He took his time, leisurely painting the suffering apprentice on the hell screen. That is, until a huge, venomous cobra slithered out of the shadows. Haru caught a glimpse of the tremendous snake from the corner of his eye. 
it drew closer and closer to the tortured apprentice, forked tongue flicking in and out. Haru cried out in panic, rolling back and forth, straining against his chains. The cobra bared its fangs, but before it could reach him, a shadow fell over it. Yoshihide angrily grabbed the cobra and cursed it for ruining the apprentice's pose. He then stuffed the animal in an empty crate. The artist reluctantly unchained Haru, offering no sympathy or apology. The shaking apprentice struggled to stand to no avail. He resorted to crawling out of the studio using only his arms. Yoshihide simply said, send in the next one. But after an hour, no apprentices entered. So the artist stormed into the studio to fetch one himself. But the room was empty. After seeing what had become of Haru, the young men had left. Yoshihide cursed them for their cowardice, flinging a paintbrush onto the floor. He turned to head back into his room when a muffled sneeze stopped him. It came from the studio's storage closet. He opened the door to find his one remaining apprentice, a trembling orphan named Goro, who had no home to return to. Yoshihide ordered the boy to go into the village and acquire some props. A short time later, Goro returned to the studio with his master's requests, a great horned owl and a package of raw meat. But Yoshihide didn't acknowledge his presence. He sat in front of his canvas, gaze fixed on the screen, muttering to the shadows. Goro gently set the birdcage on a table and scurried from the room. He thought he'd reach safety when he heard his master's voice. Get back here, boy, and open the cage. Yoshihide mixed paints as Goro reluctantly crept back into the room. He stood before the enormous bird's cage, fearful of his master's intentions. As soon as the boy opened the metal door, the bird hopped out and headed for the package of raw meat. Once again, Yoshihide spoke up. Feed him. Goro, poor young Goro, with nowhere to go, did as he was told. He picked up the bloody parcel in his tiny hands as soon as he unwrapped it, the owl reached out and nipped his finger. The boy recoiled at the pain, but Yoshihide urged him on. Goro picked up the meat and held it at arm's length, turning his face away as the bird descended. The ravenous owl tore into the package with its beak and talons, screeching in delight. In moments, the meat was gone, but the bird was far from sated. The owl lunged at Goro, first at his hands, then his face. Its dagger-like talons carved into the boy's arms, its wings beat against his face, all but blinding him. Goro held his hands up, trying to push the bird away. When that failed, he fled madly, blind from the blood and the feathers and the fear. And all the while, Yoshihide calmly painted. In his panic, the boy knocked over the crate containing the snake, setting it free. In short order, 
the cobra struck the owl, paralyzing the bird with its venom. Free from the attacker, Goro crumpled to the floor and watched the snake swallow the bird whole. But the cobra was no savior. Blood oozed from the boy's many wounds. He choked and feebly tried to lift himself before collapsing. As Goro drew his final breaths, Yoshihide furiously worked. The presence in the shadows whispered into the painter's ear. More red, more blood. Urged on by the voice, Yoshihide layered deep crimson and vibrant scarlet. Brushstroke by brushstroke, Goro's small, decimated body came into focus upon the canvas. When this portion of the hell screen was complete, Yoshihide removed Goro's corpse and left it for the vultures. Despite Yoshihide's tremendous ego, even he was surprised by how realistically he'd managed to capture hell. He could feel the heat of the inferno radiating from the canvas and read the anguish on the faces of the damned. But the hell screen's centerpiece wasn't falling into place. He'd painted it a dozen times, but each attempt came up flat, especially when compared to the magnificence surrounding it. There was only one person who could help. Led on by the voice in his ear, Yoshihide reluctantly swallowed his pride and requested an audience with Lord Nakamura. The palace was even more opulent and tasteless than Yoshihide remembered. As the attendants escorted him through the cavernous corridors, he peered down every hallway, desperate to catch a glimpse of Yuzuki. He needed to know that she was okay, but she was nowhere to be found. When he reached the sitting room, Yoshihide marveled at the priceless artwork lining the walls. There were ink paintings, woodcuts, and intricate screens all belonging to Japan's least deserving man. Yoshihide simmered with rage. Lord Nakamura treated Yuzuki the same as his art. To him, she was just a pretty object to collect and lock away. Finally, the great Lord of Horikawa stepped into the room, his extravagant silk robe billowing behind him. Yoshihide did his best to hide his disgust as the man sat down across from him. At first, the Lord didn't recognize the artist. Months of intensive work had changed Yoshihide. His skin was sallow, his eyes hollowed. He sat hunched and gaunt, a shell of the man he had been weeks before. Nakamura was delighted. I have to say, your visit came as something of a surprise. Tell me, Monkey Hyde, how goes your next masterpiece? Yoshihide bit his tongue, refusing to react to the Lord's taunts. He was used to the cruel name the villagers called him. Hearing it from Lord Nakamura also was hardly a surprise. Yoshihide cleared his dry throat and explained that he was nearly finished, but he couldn't complete the painting without the Lord's assistance. Lord Nakamura raised a quizzical eyebrow as Yoshihide continued. The secret to my success is that 
I can only paint what I've seen, whether waking or sleeping. But there's one thing I haven't been able to see or to dream. The artist went on to explain the centerpiece of the hell screen. A noble woman burning to death inside a free-falling carriage. The imagery was crucial to the completion of the piece. Then, he made his request. I need to see it. I need you to lock a woman inside a carriage, set it on fire, then push it from a mountaintop. A dark look came over the Lord's face as the artist concluded. Great art requires sacrifices, and the hell screen will never be finished without it. But if you do this, and let me be a witness, I will be able to complete a piece more vivid and more terrible than you have ever seen. To Yoshihide's surprise, Lord Nakamura smiled. If the greatest painter in all the empire requires a woman to burn to death, so be it. Coming up, Yoshihide faces the true horror of his request. Love. It's been the subject of poems, novels, music, and film. It's also been the driving force behind some of the most horrendous crimes in history. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Join me for season two of Criminal Couples and meet the lovers who took their passion to perilous lengths. Featuring standout episodes from female criminals, serial killers, solved murders, and crimes of passion, this season of Criminal Couples gets to the heart of what makes two turn to a life of murderous crime. Some couples were set off by revenge or greed. Others were fueled by sex and drugs. All acted in the name of love. Discover the darker side of desire in season two of the Spotify original from Parcast, Criminal Couples. Follow for free and tune in every Monday, only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. Yoshihide's immaculate painting of hell was almost complete. It was only missing its centerpiece, a flaming carriage with a noblewoman burning inside it. The artist had asked Lord Nakamura to arrange such a scene for him so he could easily sketch it. And to Yoshihide's surprise, the Lord agreed. Yoshihide reasoned the Lord likely had an endless selection of female prisoners at his disposal. Burning a criminal or traitor in the name of art would just mean one less mouth for the Empire to feed. That day, Yoshihide returned to his studio feeling lighter. It seemed that he and the Lord had reached a tenuous truce. Before long, the hell screen would be complete and Lord Nakamura would release Yuzuki back to her father's care. By the next day, 
the entire village of Horikawa had heard about the impending execution. A group of concerned citizens trekked to the Hira mountain foothills where the spectacle was set to take place. Some came out of twisted curiosity. Others discussed whether Yoshihide's cruelty had somehow infected Lord Nakamura. They couldn't understand why their beloved leader would agree to something so terrible. When Yoshihide arrived, the villagers angrily pelted him with stones and coins. Palace attendants rushed to the artist's aid. They directed him to a seat at the base of the mountain. Lord Nakamura had instructed the attendants to ensure Yoshihide would be able to see every detail. When the Lord joined Yoshihide, a hush fell over the crowd. The carriage passed right in front of Yoshihide and Lord Nakamura on its way to the peak. The artist watched closely, sketching details as it rolled by. He wished to get a glimpse of the woman inside, but the cabin's curtains were drawn. Yoshihide asked the Lord to have the attendants open them, but Lord Nakamura objected, saying, Patience, Monkey Hyde. You'll see the young lady soon enough. The Lord's response troubled Yoshihide. What did he mean, young lady? Suddenly, Lord Nakamura's plan came into sharp focus. Yoshihide looked to the carriage ascending the mountain and felt his breath quicken. His vision swam with tears, and for the first time, he prayed. He prayed he was wrong. When the carriage crested the mountain, the Lord called out, Show the artist his sacrifice. The attendants obeyed, opening the cabin's curtains. Yoshihide's prayer had not been answered. There, locked inside the doomed carriage, was Yuzuki. Yoshihide fell to his knees in front of the Lord. Please, no, no, I'm begging you, spare my daughter. Her life has barely begun. Nakamura merely laughed. Then he called to the attendants, Light the torches. Yoshihide flung his sketchpad to the ground and sprinted toward his daughter. He fought through the snow, trying to crawl up the steep slope toward Yuzuki. But the earth gave way with every step. He looked up helplessly as the torches closed in on the carriage and bellowed in agony. He was no closer to the top. Even if he had wings, he could never reach Yuzuki in time. Just when he thought he'd lost his mind from grief, an otherworldly voice whispered in his ear. Enjoy the show. In an instant, Yoshihide's demeanor changed. His breath slowed and his body uncoiled. He picked up his sketch pad and charcoal before returning to his chair at the base of the mountain. Inside the carriage, Yuzuki panicked. Her wrists had been chained to the floor, holding her in place. She leveraged the strength of her legs and strained against the binding with all her might. The metal rubbed her wrists raw. Still, she didn't stop pulling. She would have happily broken both of her hands if it meant surviving. 
She looked out the carriage window to see the palace attendants approaching with lit torches. She struggled against her chains with a renewed sense of urgency. As soon as the torches met the carriage, Yuzuki felt intense heat pressing in on all sides. Thick smoke filled the air, causing her to choke and cough. She pulled and pulled, blood running down her arms from her metal cuffs. With one final, agonizing tug, she managed to free one mangled hand from its bindings. As she pulled the other with all her strength, she turned to the carriage's open window and yelled to the crowd below. Help me, please! I have done nothing! But as she scanned the curious faces, her jaw dropped in disbelief. There, among the other spectators, she saw her father, Yoshihide, calmly prepared to witness her death. Hot tears of betrayal rolled down Yuzuki's cheeks as her hair caught fire. Within seconds, it incinerated, setting her scalp ablaze. She screamed in rage and pain, but most of all, heartbreak. The flame jumped to her kimono and spread over the rest of her body, but Yuzuki wasn't about to give up. Her fate had been in the hands of two terrible men, and she was determined to regain control. Her second hand, slick from blood, slipped free of its manacle. She mustered the last of her strength and threw herself at the open carriage window. From below, Lord Nakamura called to the palace attendants. Now! Push it now! Before Yuzuki could pull herself to safety, the carriage was pushed from the mountaintop. Flames engulfed the vehicle as it plummeted, blazing brilliantly against the cold winter sky. Yuzuki's smoldering body dangled from the open window. Her arms flailed in the air, reaching for help that would never come. And down below, Yoshihide watched, mesmerized. This was more than an artist's attentiveness. It was Nirvana. The ecstasy he felt watching his daughter burn alive was as unexpected as it was unmatched by anything he'd ever felt before. Unseen, the shadowy figure passed into Yoshihide, finally becoming one with its vessel. By the time the carriage crashed to the valley below, it was little more than a smoldering pile of wood surrounding Yuzuki's charred remains. Days later, a small crowd gathered in the courtyard of Horikawa Palace to see the finished hell screen. A covered canvas stood on the entrance above the waiting spectators, but Yoshihide was nowhere to be seen. Hours passed. Eventually, Lord Nakamura entered and insisted the unveiling commence without the artist. Moments later, the covering was pulled from the screen. The crowd collectively staggered backward from the sight. What sat before them was as terrible as it was beautiful. The painting was horrifyingly exquisite in its detail of each ghastly and torturous scene, so realistic 
that some spectators claimed they could actually hear the agonized screams of the damned. But nothing struck them more than its centerpiece. Yuzuki, burning to death in a falling carriage. Exacting brushstrokes captured her betrayed expression. The sight filled all who looked upon her with deep shame. It was, undeniably, a masterpiece. Furious at Yoshihide's absence, Lord Nakamura tasked a servant to summon the artist to the palace. The servant was surprised to find Yoshihide's studio door ajar. He knocked, but no one, neither Yoshihide nor an apprentice, answered. After a moment, the servant let himself in. But as soon as he crossed the threshold, an unmistakable odor hit his nose. Death. The servant crept deeper into the artist's quarters, dreading what he might find. When he opened the inner chamber door, his eyes drifted from the hundreds of charcoal sketches on the floor up to a pair of feet dangling midair. He forced his gaze further upward and saw Yoshihide. The servant searched the entire room, but there was no note to be found. Evidently, the artist let the hell screen speak his final words for him. Ryunusuke Akutagawa was a prolific author, sometimes referred to as the father of the Japanese short story. His stories seem to come from a place of reason rather than emotion, and his writing style is straightforward and detached. He lays the plot bare and leaves emotional interpretation to the reader. We can see this ethos clearly in today's tale. With the assistance of otherworldly forces, Yoshihide was able to approach his work on the hell screen with an inhuman detachment. Being under the control of dark energy allowed him to service the art unemotionally and by any means necessary. Consequently, he achieved aesthetic perfection. Whether Yoshihide was haunted by a literal demon or his own blind ambition, is left up to interpretation. Perhaps the author was able to describe Yoshihide's plight so poetically because he too was a haunted artist. Plagued by mental illness, Akutagawa took his own life in 1927 when he was just 35 years old. The most disquieting aspect of the hell screen is its apparent prophecy of the author's own demise. In the final words of the original short story, Akutagawa writes, His body remains buried in the corner of the ruins of his house. However, with the passage of scores of years, wind and rain have worn down the tombstone, marking his grave, and overgrowing moss has buried it into oblivion. Yoshihide, for all his ego and his achievements, is obliterated by time. All that remains is this uncomfortable truth, that no matter the medium 
great artists commit to their craft with everything, mind, body, and soul. And some of the most captivating ones make a deal with the devil. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Janelle Malik, with writing assistance by Robert Teamstra and Alex Garland, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden. It's been said that love is a many-splendored thing. That is, until it's not. In season two of Criminal Couples, discover true stories of couples who turned their love lives into a life of crime. Lies and deceit are just the beginning. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Criminal Couples. Catch new episodes every Monday, free and only on Spotify. Spotify.